Our reading this morning is from 1 Philippians, verses 21 to 30. And if you want to follow it on the, in the Bible in the pews, um, on the chairs, it's uh, page 1178 and 1179. It'll be on the screen. For to me, to live in Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Hello there. Okay, my name's Liz and I'm one of the uh, lay ministers here and I get to preach on the third sermon in this series on Philippians. So, um, as you know, Philippians is the message of joy. It's the letter, it's all about joy, discovering joy. And so I thought, this is going to be great. This is going to be such an upbeat service. Um, We're going to have, you know, a really joyful time. So previously on Philippians, if you weren't there... um, these are the things we had, reasons to be joyful. So Claire preached on um, God is at work in us and we are partners in the gospel with him. And uh, Tom preached on making the main thing the main thing last week, which is about preaching the gospel and preaching Jesus. So I turn over the page and I think, what have I got to preach on And uh, in week three? And do you know what I get? death. (laughs) Somebody has a sense of humor. Not only that, it's a healing prayer service today. So we have the combination of preaching about death 
and healing prayer. So I think I need to pray. So let's just pray together before we start on this this sermon about death. Lord, we are conscious that in our world, in our society, the one thing we do not talk about is death. And yet we are going to look at death today. We're going to see what you say about death. And we're going to look at how we can be joyful, even at the time of our death. So, Lord, would you come and would you just be filling us with your fullness? Would you take away any fear and take away any feelings that are negative? And would you come and open our eyes and our hearts to you? In Jesus' name. Amen. So, reasons to be joyful is what we're looking at in Philippians. And... From the passage that Ted read to us, I think this is the reason to be joyful. It comes from verse 21, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I think that is the key verse. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or to put it in another way, both in life and in death, I will be with Jesus, both in life and in death. I will be with Jesus. That is if I am a Christian. That is if I know Jesus now. That is if I am living in Jesus now. In life and in death, I am with him now and I will be with him in the future. Now, a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, in the first sermon in this series, Claire spoke about being led by the Spirit as a church. And if you remember, she shared that picture of us as a church that is hoisting a sail and waiting for God to fill it and to lead us where he wants us to go. And I hope you have a sense of that happening in the life of our church. When Paul and his companions were on their missionary journeys, spreading the gospel, that was how they went about things. They went from place to place, looking for guidance about the next step, asking God for the next town to visit. And if God seemed to put a block in their way, or if um, there was for some reason... Uh, they couldn't go that way, then they turned round and went elsewhere. And if you read in Acts, you will find that they only went to Philippi because Paul had a dream of a man asking him to come over, and he took that to be from the Spirit. But... When we read this letter to the Philippians, written some years later, it does seem as if the Lord has led Paul into a dead end. Because if you remember, he is writing from prison, and he has probably been there a considerable time. 
So I think Paul must have been sitting there thinking, what is God doing? What is God doing? It's all very well, this following God and following the Spirit, but I don't understand what God is doing here. When Paul um, had been arrested and imprisoned before, and that had happened to him actually in Philippi, God had busted him out of jail straight away. He'd sent an earthquake to open all the doors and bust him out. But there was no earthquake this time, and there were no angels opening doors as they had for Peter and John. He was stuck in prison, unable to continue with what he felt was his God-given mission to spread the gospel of Jesus. And in this passage, he faces the fact that worse might be to come. Because the end of all this might be execution. Paul was having to contemplate the possibility of his own death. And ask this question again, what is God doing? Does he want me to die at this time? Is that why this is happening to me? Which way is this going to go? Deliverance? Or death. Okay, I was really tempted to put this up right at the beginning. <laughs> in case you've forgotten it. Because this is really the dilemma that is facing Paul. Do I remain or do I leave? Slightly different circumstances. Not about the EU at all but about whether um, he should remain and carry on his ministry or leave and go to be with the Lord. Should he stay or should he go? What is God saying to him? So as he sits in his prison thinking of this, Paul lets us have an insight into his thinking and his reasoning. And this is, if you're following it, verses 20 to 24 and it's going to be on the screen actually I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he hopes for deliverance, that he will be freed, but if he isn't, He prays for courage to face whatever might come. And he's conscious that there's still a lot for him to live for, a lot of fruitful labour for him to do. Those uh, young churches who still need him. There are places that haven't yet heard about Jesus. But to depart, to die and be with Christ is better by far. So he feels torn between the options. And again, back to that key verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's thinking, if I live, I will live with Christ and for Christ. 
But if I die, I will be with him. So to die is gain. Or um, in another version, it says this, for me, living means having Christ and dying means having more of him. So that is a blessings either way. It's a win-win situation. Now, I wonder when you read that, do you think, okay, that's okay for Paul. You know, he's um, super, super saint. He can cope with this. His idea of death is bound to be exalted. And perhaps you think he's saying this, but perhaps when it comes to it, he might not feel like this. Paul's attitude to death is different from ours, and I think it was different from those around him. Those of you who know anything about the world that Paul lived in will know that the fear of death was prevalent in the classical world. Look at this um, quote from Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. There were people who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you think that happens now? Do you think there are people who for whom fear of death is the biggest thing. Amongst the Greeks and Romans of Philippi, there was a whole industry of trying to appease those um, fickle and vengeful gods that they believed him. So there were gifts for the gods, there were sacrifices for the gods, there were prayers, there were meticulous observances When you died, your funeral had to be exactly done right. Otherwise, God might not accept you, they thought. That's what the pagans around Paul thought. And in the Jewish world, there was a bit more certainty, but always there was a worry about whether you would be good enough for God. You knew that God was good, but would you be good enough for God Had you kept every part of the law? That was something that Paul used to worry about before he became a Christian. Have I done enough? And the philosophers of the ancient world, like Epicurus and Lucretius, said that the fear of death was the dominant thing in people's lives. And and, uh, Epicurus said, we need to get rid of this because otherwise people do live in slavery. Now his solution was that people should forget about what was happening after their lives and should just live for today. And actually, we're a pretty Epicurean um, society nowadays. So I wonder what you think happens today. I know we don't talk about death, so we probably don't know what happens today. But I think with less emphasis on the afterlife in people's lives, with less awareness of judgment, and perhaps the church has not talked enough about that, 
um, with less willingness to acknowledge God and his demands on people's lives and the fact that it all happens somewhere else, perhaps in hospital, many live without the fear of what might happen after death. At least they do for most of their lives. When I said this to Claire yesterday, she said, actually, possibly towards the end of their lives, people do begin to think about what might happen after death. But generally, we just try and live our lives as if that's never going to happen to us. What has replaced that fear of the afterlife in the 21st century is the fear of the process of dying. And most of us are not very familiar with pain. We're not sure of our capacity to cope with pain. And if, after all, there is nothing beyond death, then it's hard to let go to what you love here. So I think that fear of dying, which is quite a big issue for our society, and that fear of pain has taken over. I want to go back to Paul and what he says about death. This this is his definition of death. And I think that's the next one. Thank you. To depart and be with Christ, which is far better. To depart and be with Christ, which is better by far in this version. The Bible just gives us tantalizing glimpses of what happens to us after death. And one of the best definitions, which I think is consistently used, is this one. That death, if we belong to Christ, is going to be with him. It's departing and going to be with Jesus. If you remember when Jesus spoke to the thief who acknowledged him on the cross and was dying next to him, he said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. If we belong to Christ, when we die, we will always be with Christ. That is the certainty that we have. But it will be far better than the relationship that we have with Jesus now. Paul tries to describe what it might be like in another passage in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, For now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully, just as also I have been fully known. So now it's like we see Jesus in a mirror, dimly. Then we will see him face to face. Now we know Jesus a bit. Then he, we will know him fully. No barriers, no strivings, no misunderstandings, no sin between us. A whole new quality of relationship with Jesus. A whole new quality of love and understanding. So that is why Paul does not fear death. Why he knows that beyond death, there is something far better. And the challenge for us now is that that relationship with Jesus starts now. 
How well are we getting to know Jesus now? After death, will we be get, talking face to face with a stranger? Or is it somebody we know and love and have grown to know, if only in a mirror dimly? The more we know him now, the more we will long for that face-to-face relationship. And then we will have that longing, that attitude to death that Paul has. So it seems to me that Paul has a platform, a foundation for his eternal security. If we are living with Jesus now, we will live with Jesus forever, in life and in death. And what he goes on to say in the second half of this passage, which I've no doubt we'll look at in our life groups, is that changes our attitude to living. Because if we know that we're going to be with Jesus, if we know that we need not fear death, then we're able to stand up for the gospel without fear. He says, not being frightened by those who oppose you. And we're able to deal with suffering and persecution because in life and in death, we will be with Jesus. So that's what I wanted to say. And now I want us to respond a bit because I wonder how secure the platform on which you stand is in this area. It seems to me that there are four building blocks to the platform that Paul was standing on. And I wonder how secure these are in your life. I've put them on the screen if you want to look at that, if it's helpful, look at that. If not, you might like to close your eyes at this point. And as we look at each of these, just try and detect in yourself, is one of these blocks a bit wobbly in your life because after this we're going to have an opportunity for prayer and it may be that you need to pray into that area so the first block of this platform is that God is in control God is in control the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He is working his purposes out. God is in control. Can you believe that even when times are tough? And the second building block is this. I belong to Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, said Paul. And you'll have the inner witness of the Spirit. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you know you belong to Jesus now, then you will know And that you belong to Jesus for all eternity. The third thing is that we are safe in God's hands. I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, 
nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, we have that promise, that promise made by the Jesus who went through life and death and beyond death. I am with you always to the end of the age. We live our life with him. We go through death with him. We go into the life beyond death with him. I'm going to finish with um, a story, but would the the music team like to come up first? This is a true story, and you may have heard it before, but I think it does demonstrate something about the certainty we can have as Christians in the face of death. In April 2015, which I think was only last year, Eight prisoners were facing death in a prison in Indonesia. They had all been convicted of drug trafficking. And I expect you know that Indonesia has a zero tolerance policy on drug trafficking. Two were from Australia and they got quite a lot of publicity. But others were from Nigeria, Ghana, Brazil and Indonesia itself. And they'd been in prison for over a decade. And during that time, all but one of them had become Christians. They acknowledged their crimes, they asked forgiveness, and they prayed for mercy and deliverance. However, no last-minute reprieve came So they were facing execution and they wanted to show the certainty of their faith in the way that they died. So they walked out to their execution singing Amazing Grace together. They refused to wear blindfolds. They held hands. And this last song that they requested to sing was this one. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And as they stood in a circle, I believe, and sung this, in the final verse, the shots rang out. I would like us to stand and sing this song just to remind ourselves of the certainty we can have as Christians that Jesus is with us in death and beyond death. Sing like never before 
up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your songs again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. But really singing in the evening comes. And bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. in love and you're slow to anger your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the Lord of my soul Oh, my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. And on that day when my strength is fading, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name Sing like never before Oh 